Hello, and welcome to the Scotch and Smokes podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Seth. And I'm Jesse. We are a fan podcast about the AMC show Mad Men. You can find us on the web at madcast.net, and you can also look us up on Facebook if you look up the Scotch and Smokes podcast. Go there to visit and give us some comments about the Mad Men show or some of the things we talk about on this podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Also, we have not an official Twitter account, but I know, Jesse, you Twitter a lot, and uh, you sometimes get people tweeting you about certain yes. aspects of the show. Well, no, you throw out your, your Twitter address. So I'm at JWJ170104, uh, and uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts uh, about the podcast or the episodes. All right. And, and, of course, we have to remind our listeners that we also have the premium podcast where uh, we have all kinds of video extras. So, And it's what? Uh, what is it? Uh, an extra $15? Is that all it is? <laughs> exactly. Very, very convenient. Very, via, very affordable. Via, yeah. via yeah. Bitcoin, right? Yes. Yes. So for this episode, we'll be talking about the... Uh, and again, this is uh, the way they, they number these episodes is kind of confusing. It's the third weekend of season six, but it's technically the fourth episode, and it's called episode 604. Anyway, it's called To Have and To Hold is the name of the episode. This one, I think, was a departure from what we've seen in the, last, the two previous episodes in terms of just the storylines and structure. Before we get to the nuts and bolts of the actual episode itself. Did you guys have any first impressions that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to hear why you think it was such a departure. I thought it was a really brilliantly uh, done episode, and we'll get into that. You know, I think before last season, Matt Weiner had said that no matter what good Betty does, people hate her, and no matter how much bad things Don does, people love him. And I think... They've pushed the boundaries, and at this point, I am not loving Don very much at all. So, <laughs> right, I'm with that's you there. That's my quick overview, and we'll get into more details. But yeah, yeah, yeah I'm I'm with you. This reminds me of another show I used to do a podcast about, Battlestar Galactica, where there was a character, Starbuck was her name, and um, she was sort of the antihero of the group. But they made her such a dark character, and so just annoying during maybe the third season or so that a lot of us were just like, ugh, just kill her off already. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, yeah, for Don, it's, it's at that point where, gosh, are they purposely getting him to the point where you really want to just hate him so he has some sort of redemption to, to make us find him appealing again? Yeah, I don't know, but if you're playing at home with your Mad Men, Scotch and Smokes bingo card... There was another discussion about you shouldn't smoke. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that you should put that in your little card. Right. All right, so to answer your question, Seth, why I thought this was a, a departure, it's because about midway through the episode, I was you know tracking the different storylines, the A line, the, the B storyline, and the C, and there's a point at which I was like, you know what? It could be said that the B storyline is the Don storyline. And I didn't mean Don Draper. I meant Don the secretary. They, mm -hmm. they brought that storyline way to the fore in a way that she had not been before. She had many scenes in the office, out of the office. We saw an aspect of her life that we hadn't seen. And just the thematic part of that storyline, the, the person who's got issues where she wants to be you know, recognized for her work, but she has these challenges because of who she is, the color of her skin, the fact that she's a woman, and it tying into Joan's storyline. I felt that Don was marginally in this episode. Obviously, he had some big scenes, but, you know, he was almost like, aside from, obviously, at the end, he had something that was very big and cruel that he said and did to Megan, but for the most part, I felt like the main part of the story was Joan... Don, the secretary, Megan, and it made me think of a comment you had made on our podcast before, Seth, where you said this could be a show called Mad Women because a lot of it is about the women. And I thought this, to me, is a show more about what the women have done, what they're going to do, and is this something where we're seeing with Joan and her struggles to be accepted and respected 
and Don, the secretary, trying to get her foot in the door. And is this the first step of her eventually becoming more than just the token black secretary, the person that they're hiring just for a quota? So that, that that's my take and why I thought it was a departure. What did you guys think? Oh, see, okay. Well, I mean, we'll get into it, but I thought we got an insight into Don that that we never had, well, that we all knew about, but he never kind of acknowledged before. But we'll, we'll get into that when we get there. But yeah, I mean, I agree. And the thing is that from week to week, as we've noted before, that some people, some characters get more more screen time and more mentions than than others. But um, it was good to get to get Dawn and, and in there. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was a lot about the women. And in fact, if you look at the episode, it was all about women who had been Don's secretaries. Right. Because Don, of course, is. Megan had been. Uh, Peggy had been. And uh, Joan was for a little while. Mm-hmm. You know, I think right after, I think after Mrs. Blankenship died, I think Joan was on her desk. Or No, Joan, Joan was on the desk at some point. Oh, I think Joan was on the desk when, when that, uh, that other secretary, who I'm, I can't really remember her name, slept with Don and then she came in the next day and Don kind of ignored her and she got all upset and threw the glass at him. I think Joan went on the desk at that point. Yeah. But all all the stories are about, you know, women who had been secretaries of Don. You know, and this really stresses that things we've talked about before of the changing of the guard. Joan is of a different generation than the other women that are on the show. And she has certainly reached the point where she is an executive, as her friend talked about, and she says, they still treat me like a secretary. Right. And you see, you know, Peggy is not. Peggy is now Don, in fact, using (laughs) some of his lines. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Don is breaking barriers in a lot of ways, she tells her friend, well, you don't need to worry about a job because you're getting married, you know, right. which is just something, it seems like another world at times. So, you know, she's making barriers and getting there and Joan has given her more responsibility at the end. So Yeah, she gives her more responsibility, but it's really a punishment. Well, she says it is, but I don't think it is. I you know, I, I had a very early in my career, I had a mentor who said, if you can't give me more money, give me more responsibility, because the more responsibility will lead to more money down the road, either here or at another place. So I think, from my perspective, Joan trusted her, saw that she was honest, saw that she was doing and was kind of looking, because Don cannot stand whoever the girls, the blonde, that's the partners, you know, where were we? Um, I was, what's her name? You know, Mary, excuse mm-hmm. yourself. You know, this Joan's like, this, what am I doing? She is just not smart. So maybe she's seeing for, you know, something in Dawn that could be potential. Mm-hmm. I took that whole thing a different way, actually. And I'm not sure we want to talk about this now, Brian, but um, I, I just took that whole thing is there's so much uncertainty and there's so much misery at Sterling Cooper Draper price. People seem to be happy, but they're not happy. We, we know that the partners are not happy campers because they're always doing all kinds of things and they're saying they're not happy. And now we find out Joan is not happy despite all the things that she's achieved. And, and part of that is because, you know, she made this arrangement to become a partner and, you know, it's not something you can really talk about in mixed company. <laughs> um, but I took Dawn's new assignment there from Joan as proof of the fact that people don't know if they're doing well or badly at that firm. They're just confused, completely confused. So that's how I took it. But you, you may be right, Jeff. I mean, obviously, yeah, Joan didn't fire her and wasn't going to, I don't think. I think the two aren't mutually exclusive. I think I kind of tend to side with Jesse that Joan saw that Don was being honest and yeah, you now she had a true. quality and she was somewhat rewarding her, although she said it's actually a punishment because she's giving her more responsibility. But 
I can also see that, you know, maybe she just wanted to keep her close. And, and, uh, the thing that I found interesting was, you know, we've said, you know, the main characters aren't happy and there's things they don't, they're not content with their lives and, and whatnot. But it was interesting to hear Dawn as a secondary character, a lower level character, express to her friend that everyone at the agency is so fearful. They don't know what's going on. They're throwing up in the bathroom. They're crying. They're, and that exposes a really dark side of the agency that, yes, we know the upper level management people have their flaws and their parts of their lives that are really just sort of sad. But it goes beyond that. There's like a, there's a festering that goes into like the middle level and down below. And it's, you almost, I see it like, well, this is the, you know, the happy sixties and, you know, age of Aquarius and peace, man, but there's something's rotten in the middle. It's, it's just like, it's going to just, it's going to just fall out. And, you know, they had that period where they struggled and then they're like, oh, we have, you know, we keep getting more money. It's, you know, we're, we're still profiting. We're getting, you know, we're going to buy a new office. And it's, it seems like it's all not going to sustain itself because it's just, it's not built on something that's solid. This firm is missing a leader. I mean, uh, Don is certainly good at the creative part, but he doesn't know how to do the business. You know, Roger has never been anything but an empty suit with all his charming and fun lines. You know, his father did this. Burt Cooper and maybe if he had been younger and more engaged, might have been the kind of leader, you know, when he talked about, remember, this is my business. <laughs> and, you know, the only reason Harry's successful is because he happened to go in there and say, I want to be the television, you know, I want to be in charge of the television department. And television is important. You know, it's not because of his efforts, his work. It's just because the explosion of TV, even back then, and the stuff. So they are floundering because they don't have a true leader. They don't have a true visionary. They don't know what they want to be. And originally, yeah, originally they were just struggling to try to make ends meet and to get over. And now then that they've done that, where do you go next? And what do you do? Uh, I I just think that could be part of it. I hadn't thought of that. That's a really good point. Let's talk about some of the storylines then that affected people outside of the office. There was the part with Megan getting a role or a scene that would be a love scene. Mm -hmm. And her tiptoeing around to Don about, you know, this is going to having to tell him. And the totally odd relationship that uh, her coworker has with the head writer, and then leading up to that dinner scene. Thoughts on that? Well, I was kind of happy when I saw that scene playing out because I believe, I believe we talked about, and oh, yeah, we definitely talked about wife swapping last week yes, on the podcast. You are we, correct. Yes, we did. Yeah. Yes, we did. And we thought we thought that Matt Weiner was sort of tipping his cap in that direction, but we weren't sure. And and heck, we don't have to surmise now. We got it right in the face during that dinner. Fortunately, Don and Megan said no, but but we learned a lot about Don at that dinner, I thought. First, we learned that he does not support the war. Second, we heard him talking about advertising and the Smothers Brothers, and he really actually came up with a brilliant, brilliant thought about all about that, whereas the guy, uh, I guess, uh, Mel, the head writer, who was played by uh, Ted McKinley, <laughs> who was really well disguised with that with that camera angle and and the, and the glasses. You know, he was very very shallow thought. He said <laughs> he had a very very shallow response to Don's thoughts. But yeah, I mean, I think it shows that not only were young people or younger people interested in in wife swapping, but uh, so were relatively older people, i.e. Mel and Arlene, his wife, who I think wasn't she also the actress in that in the scene with Megan? Isn't she? Isn't she also in the soap opera? Yeah, I think so. Yes, yeah, okay, she is. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that was my take on it. I was more interested, though. But I, I, I want to hear what Jesse has to say. But I'm more interested in the opening scene of of the show where we're in Pete's apartment. But I, I'll stop. Well, there. we'll come back to that one. Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I thought it was interesting there at dinner. We have the you should not smoke, mm-hmm. you know, yes, thing there. Yes, Don very clearly, you know, I'm against the war, which seems a little strange. You know, I was born in 59, so I certainly could remember when the war ended, but I remember it just being always there in the background. You know, my dad served a tour in Vietnam, and so it was certainly not overly on my mind as a kid, but it just was something that was always there. And growing up in a military family, I didn't hear a lot of talk about being against the war, you know. Mm. So I found that interesting. The other thing I thought of is there was a Evening Shade episode years ago where Mary Lou Henner and Burt Reynolds are at a friend's house, new acquaintance, and they ask them, you know, do you want to get comfortable? Would you like a robe? <laughs> and, uh, you know, they get nervous and leave. And so that's always been a joke about when Lynn and I, <laughs> uh, you know, like, hey, should we invite them robes? And, <laughs> and um, we also went out with another couple that we found out after the fact were – into swingers, you know, the lifestyle. And I told my wife I didn't know whether to be relieved or insulted that we weren't hit on. <laughs> so um, so obviously Don wasn't insulted and flattered, yeah. but they kind of left. And, you know, Don doesn't like sharing his toys. Mm-hmm. So he certainly likes using other toys. So yeah. that was a awesome dinner. This whole storyline, I thought from the very beginning when Megan had to tell Don through the dinner, there was like so many just on-the-nose lines that seemed almost too... I mean, when Megan told him about that that she'd be doing a scene, and he's like, well, what am I supposed to think? And she said, well, that you trust me and that you know that I love you and I wouldn't do it. And it's one of those things where you want to have him be acknowledging that, you know, all these things that she's saying, he can't say them because they're not true. He, you know, she can't trust him. He, and he is not being faithful. I mean, and then we'll come back and just slam you in the face at the very end of the episode with his little hypocrisy. But then there's a line from the, the wife at the dinner table when she says to Don, you're a man who plays, looks like a man who plays many roles. Many roles, yeah. yeah. That was yeah. great, and that, great, great. It's almost like overwritten in a way, because it's like, well, it's it's kind of obvious, it, but at the same time, I don't know. Again, this goes back to some, some of the criticism of the show being perhaps a little bit too literal or too, you know, on the nose, but... Yeah, but it was a good line. I mean, it was good. It was funny. It was a good reaction, too, by him. He was kind of speechless and didn't really have any yeah. true response. Yeah. And what I find amazing is I would imagine, unless you can put things in very good compartments, as we talk about, I would think the reality of you are doing more than just pretending you're not play acting for your job like she is, you're actually cheating on her. Mm-hmm. You're having an affair with someone she likes, and it's not a one-night stand. It is a ongoing affair that you would take the high road and go, no, 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 I understand. This is, you know, that's what you people do, and you actresses, mm-hmm. and I'm so happy for you. And I was glad she said you know, you've never been happy with any success I've had. Right. And that's true. Yeah, I wonder, wonder why that is. Yeah. Yeah. I want to kind of save their final scene for later, because I think it was so intense, and there's so much to unpack there. So okay. we'll come back to that a little bit. So let's hop over to another track of the storylines, and the Joan and Kate storyline, which had its own parallels with the Don and Megan storyline, because there was, again, sort of a multi-amorous scene where people are kind of sharing each other. And, I mean, if this hasn't hit you over the head yet, that, you know, this is sort of like the theme of the episode, if not the season, there it was. You know, let's take it from the beginning. Joan comes in and sees her friend, Kate. I don't think, at first I thought it was her sister, but I guess it was just a friend. 
Yeah, it was a friend. That was visiting, and they go out on the town and and then have these uh, these interactions with these other interesting characters that ends up, like I said, in this sort of free-for-all love club. So, thoughts on that and how it pertains to the rest of the episode? Well, it's showing, again, it's showing sort of the lax morals of the time, I suppose. It's showing that because Kate, Joan's friend, is married and has children. I think she has two boys. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's showing that right there. I mean, Joan doesn't really have have anything to apologize for. Uh, I mean, she's not married. She's free. So she, I guess, can play the field. But Kate does have something to apologize for. But I, th- I really actually thought the whole idea of, of Kate was showing, again, sort of mirroring Dawn and her friend. This was Joan and her friend. So it's two black women and two white women. Mm-hmm. The white woman seems to have everything, seems to have a, a great situation, or at least her mother thinks so, and at least her friend Kate thinks so. I mean, Kate thinks so much of it that she comes to New York to try to replicate what Joan has. Mm-hmm. She even says that. But then Joan tells us that she's not happy there mm-hmm. and that people still treat her like a secretary. That's what I took away from it. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's why I thought that, again, despite Don Draper's final outburst at the end and the whole Heinz catch-up bit, that the core of the episode was the Don, the secretary, and Joan, the partner, and how those two lines, storylines, had some parallels, but also, especially with Joan's, the way hers branched over a little bit into what Don's was with the partner swapping and the... Uh, like you, like you said, how it mirrored Don, the secretary. <laughs> we have to remember what her last name is because I, I, I'm tiring of saying Don, the secretary. Um, and how those had those mirrored themes. Yeah, and yeah they were I, just mirroring. That's yeah. when I really appreciated what this episode was bringing to the table because it, you know, with with Joan, you were seeing a lot of the struggles that Don was seeing. And you're seeing some of the crazy 60s environment that they're all living in. Right. I just really appreciated how that was done. I think the other thing that it's showing, it's kind of mirroring, is that while women have made advances in the time of this series, it started in 1960 and now it's 1968, so women can now be executives. It's it's not regular, but they can be executives. Joan is an executive. And by the same token, black uh, people have made some strides since 1960. They were just elevator operators in the first season. Now Don has a secretary who's black. So both women and minorities have made strides. However, I think Weiner is saying they still have, both of them still have a long way to go. Right. Although I would say that, again, I wonder if this is the beginning of how things are going to change. And if at some point these two don't end up having much bigger role in terms of what the agency is going to be in the future. It could be. I, I mean, could it's be. like the could glimmer be. of this is the start of something. There's all these yeah. corrupt, yeah. morally corrupt people at the top who are just not paying attention to what's important and they don't have like this solid footing to stand on. And here's two people, they're flawed, sure, but they have a different hunger in terms of what they want and why they want it because of the things they've been through and because of what they are. And that might be the ones that ascend to, you know, the throne. And they, I wonder if that's the, the uh, yeah. direction, but. Yeah, maybe. How about you, Jesse? What did you think of this particular thread? First off, where the hell did they go to the bar with the phones? <laughs> you know, I, I've never heard or seen anything like that. I, well, I assume you, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if we later in a year listen to the, you know, the director's commentary on the, the Blu-ray or whatever, where they say, oh, yeah, in New York, they had this one club called the something, something, something. Yeah. And they, yeah, I mean, you know, I... I I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I really wouldn't be surprised. You know, and it seemed like Joan was being there wanting her friend to have a good night, right? Mm-hmm. You know, she was kind of along, you know, kind of helping to drive things, work things. It was very, very interesting. Odd, odd, the whatever nightclub they went to, 
was just very bizarre and she's kind of sitting there and um I don't know how far Joan went with it. I assume her friend went further based on the well, next morning. Well, I don't know. I mean, Joan, if you notice in that scene the next morning, her her dress is ripped at the shoulder. So I I'm noticed that. I think the rip in the dress was to illustrate that, you know, there was some, something went on that night. And remember that Joan comes in the next morning to work late, as Harry Crane reminds us. So, yeah, I mean, they, they tied one on, for sure. I think we can safely assume both of them were, were having a good time. Yes, definitely. Joan seems to control most situations that she's in, especially with men and, and love. So I assume she went as far as she wanted to. Let's go ahead and talk about the Heinz part of the story, which is kind of the C story. I mean, it was, I mean, it had Dawn in it, and it had a lot of major characters like Peggy and, and whatnot. But, uh, I mean, actually, in terms of, you know, the way that it stacks up in the episode, it was the sort of the C story. But very important one, nonetheless, because it does tell us that the agency was basically played, as was Peggy's agency. Uh, they both were used in a way so that they could... Another agency came in and they didn't really have a shot at it. And right. also that this really affects... Peggy and Stan's relationship, he was not pleased. It affects the fact that now they have lost the Beans account. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm frankly surprised that this basically all occurred within a matter of, you know, maybe two episodes. That I thought it was going to be a little bit longer arc, but it seems, unless this means that for some reason the agency has to make up for that business or there will be ramifications in terms of whether, you know, Peggy has to deal with Stan or Dawn at some later point because of them getting the tip that this was happening. You know what? I took a, a slightly different look at it. I, I, I didn't really think of it in a business sense. I looked at it this way. I mean, if you look at that opening scene of the episode last night where we see Pete and he's mixing a drink and he's talking about changing your life. Mm -hmm. And we always see that sliver of Pete. We can't really see who he's talking to. Mm -hmm. We can sort of see that he's in his bachelor pad, I'll call it, in Manhattan, with all the connotations that it has. We can't see who else is in the room. Mm -hmm. So to me, I'm thinking, oh, he's talking to a woman. Right. Maybe, maybe that blonde Bernadette, who, his neighbor that he was having, that he carried on with in the previous episode. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's talking about changing her life and this and that. Maybe she's going to leave her husband. And then the camera pans back and we see that it's Timmy from Ketchup and, and Don in the apartment. And the apartment's kind of dark. And as we know, in Mad Men, when you have dark lighting, it's kind of a spooky or a sinister or a sleazy uh, connotation. And that whole meeting was like an affair. Mm -hmm. It just reminded me of an affair. I mean, they're talking about secrets. We can't let this get out. We're not going to be able to talk about it at the office. And they're doing it in, in Pete's, you know. <laughs> Pastor you know, Pad. Yeah, Pete's yeah. Uh, hideaway, his lair. Mm -hmm. And then and then Pete says, yeah, we got to keep this a secret. We won't even have the presentations in the office. We, we can do them right here. And then Pete says, no, let's. I'll, I'll get, we'll get a hotel room. Well, isn't that another sign of, of an affair? You get a hotel room. Yeah. Um, so it, to me, the whole scene was brilliantly played as an affair mm -hmm. where they're mixing secrecy with business, which, you know, a lot of times doesn't work out. And in this case, it bombed terribly. And then to even make it even more seem like an illicit affair, Pete says to Don, you know, this uh, apartment is always available to you should you need it. <laughs> and Don says, come on, Pete, I don't, you know. I live in I the city. I live, I live in the city. He should have also said, hey, I screw women right in my own apartment building. I don't need that. <laughs> uh, but, but, but he didn't say that. But then also, to, to make it even more of, of a scene from, from an illicit affair, didn't Timmy on his way out say, I've got to go meet a woman. Mm -hmm. And then... Before he walked out, he said to Don and Pete, by the way, get me up here to New York anytime you want. I don't need an excuse. Yeah. In other words, 
my guess is it's that woman that he's going to see, or another woman. Yeah. Uh, probably not his wife. Yeah. Or, or maybe it is, or maybe it's somebody else's wife. Who knows? But the whole thing was so sleazy. Yeah. And yeah. I thought it was played that way beautifully. I yeah. thought it was a brilliant scene. That's a very astute observation, and I completely agree. And if it had been a short story, it, I mean, that scene almost is like when you write a short story, you're packing every every sentence has meaning, and every word has some meaning because you want to get as much weight of the word and the phrasing as you can in the short amount of words that are on the page. And in this scene, it was brilliantly done, like the, the opening shot, the ambiguity of, you know, who is Pete talking to and what's the, you know, what's the subject and to whom is he speaking? I thought that was it's a great, a great scene. So much was packed in there. So I think they missed the opportunity. Billy Wilder's great movie, The Apartment, as much as Don loves movies, I would have thought that would have been a great place for him to talk about that when Pete, hey, I can offer you the key, you know, I, I'm not Fred McMurray. It was a little surprising, I guess, you know, ketchup, because it is the king of all condiments, <laughs> was too much of an allure because, you know, Don seemed to be, you know, last week was, you know, you dance with the one who brung you. Mm-hmm. and seemed to be. So it was seedy from the beginning. And then just poor Pete, when they're all at the bar and they, you know, the other agency comes in and maybe we're celebrating. No. And, you know, the big agency one bought it in the room and Pete, we paid for that room. <laughs> just seems, yeah. In the scope of things, Pete, that's really not important. <laughs> So uh, I thought that was uh, pretty, uh, but I thought you're very insightful about the, it feels an affair. They were cheating on beans and sauces, I guess. Yeah. And the one other thing about that whole storyline, which I found interesting, afterwards when they're at the bar and they realize that they were not getting the business, the competing agency comes in, Peggy and what's the other guy's name? Um, Teddy. 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 Peggy and Teddy come in. It was the first time I had seen Teddy not openly hostile towards Don. He was almost as if like, man, us small agencies were getting the shaft. And, you know, it was almost like it was leaving room for, man, we should really team up together and, you know, take it on, take on these, these other guys that are just, you know, not giving us a fair shot. I was really surprised that there wasn't any open hostility between the two of them at that point. Did you sense that too? Because I every time they've ever been near each other, it's always been some sort of barb that's been thrown back and forth. Yeah, I, I agree. That was a little uncharacteristic of Teddy, but uh, I mean, they're trying to make him look like a, I guess they're trying to flesh out his character a little bit. But we also saw something else in this episode. We saw one other character who I thought was very uncharacteristic, and that was Megan, when she had to approach Don about the love scene. The way she talked about it in the dressing room with Arlene and, you know, first Arlene said, oh, you're going to have to kiss uh, the leading man. Have you ever done anything like this? And she goes, well, sure I have. Yes, of course I have. And and it's clear that she hasn't. And then she even says, does a high school play count? And Arlene says, no. But then further from that, Arlene says, well, you know, (laughs) you're going to have to tell him about it. And Megan is like a little girl. She's, oh, he's really not going to like that. He's really not going to like that. She's like a little kid and, and very, imma- not immature, but just seems like she's terrified of Don. And I think she is, except mm. then in the early stages of their marriage, i.e. last season, she was really the adult in charge there. Yeah. So what has happened, or, or is it just this? aspect of their marriage that that she's afraid of Don or if I could make a bold prediction or is the is the marriage really on the rocks and and it's over the only reason I say that is because the last time Don called his wife a prostitute was when he called Betty a prostitute and you know how that marriage ended so I'm thinking I'm going to make a bold prediction and I'm going to say that their marriage is over Well, I would say that they have had a few really critical points where things have hit the wall hard. Last season, it was when he just dumped her at that Howard Howard Johnson's and just left. That was huge. Somehow they got past that. 
Yep. But to be fair, she didn't like the orange sherbet. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. All right. Just and, a joke. Listener. And then, and then this season or this episode specifically, when she first tentatively tells him, and I think the reason that she was tentative and scared about it is because again, she has now experienced dealing with him and knows that all is not roses and that he can be temperamental and when you know she told him and he was like well i'm not going to encourage it but i'm not going to stop it or something along those lines which is like such a half-hearted endorsement i mean my god uh, and she's like oh you're the best i love you and you know she, it, to hear her say that it, it just sounds kind of pathetic because it's like you're saying you love the guy that just now is really just sort of really half-heartedly supporting you and, and you know yeah i mean that's yeah to me that was an uncharacteristic sentiment from megan who i thought came into the marriage as a very good-looking secretary who was very good with Don's kids, but then very shortly thereafter became a very complicated and intelligent person and a thinking person, more of a thinker than, at least on the marriage part, than Don was. Well, I mean, let's face it. Megan has, if any character has, has gone from being like so much of a side character to really a principal character it's her and she's come huge yeah. way in a very short amount of time so yeah i mean i agree with you but at the same time i think there's a dynamic going on with her character and what she's dealing with and again in a very short amount of time going from this whirlwind engagement to getting married to then seeing this dark side of dawn to i think you're right yeah there's a there's definitely some fracturing going on that's why i think her i love you you're the best statement was just thrown up as a somewhat self defensive yeah, sort of statement. Of, I thought it was kind of out of left field. I, I just did not re recognize her. It was more hopefulness than actual truthfulness. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Mm -hmm. And maybe. then, and then, because what you see at the end, the facade is gone, and she speaks her mind exactly, which, which she's been holding back. And, you know, the, yeah, yeah. and I mean, if you want to go ahead, and now we can perhaps talk about that. Um, well, yeah, I mean, th th what we learned in that, at least from that scene, was that Don had never gone to see her work before, and, and now this was the only time he'd ever come there, which that didn't sound very good. I wasn't happy to hear that. But this episode had a lot of mirroring, and this maybe was a three-way mirror, because the first scene to me was all about affairs, even though it was really a catch-up meeting. And then we saw Megan and Rafe. Uh, the, the name of the, the character she kisses in, in this soap opera, who's, who's a married man, and she obviously works for this guy, mm -hmm. met his family. She likes Rafe's wife, but Rafe pushes her down on the bed, his marital bed, and they, they make out. Mm -hmm. And then cut to, well, not cut to, but right after that, Don and Megan yell and scream at each other. But then right after that, we have Don on the bed with Sylvia in a very, very similar physical position to Rafe. I mean, they look like they're, you know, it, it, I think it was purposeful. I don't think it's coincidental. Um, no, nothing. I mean, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. totally purposeful, yeah. and it's almost one of those scenes where you could say it's a little bit too obvious. <laughs> well, you know? I don't know. Maybe. I just thought it was very, very clever storytelling, but I want to I back up just a little bit and, and say that I thought, that to me, that the highlight of this episode was when Don, during foreplay, looks at Sylvia's cross around her neck mm -hmm. and, you know, makes a little joke, uh, do you pray for absolution after I leave, or do you pray for me to come back? And then Sylvia says very beautifully and, and very tellingly, I think, mm -hmm. no, Don, I pray for you to find peace. And Don puts down his head, he, he bows his head, puts it on her chest, basically, in an acknowledgement of, yeah, I, I take your point. You know, and I don't think we've ever, ever, ever seen Don acknowledge that. Now, we have heard other women say things like that to him. I believe the schoolteacher, Suzanne Farrell, said to him at, at some point, you're not a happy man. It's very clear to me you're not happy. And then he, he just went in and went to sleep or something like that. He did not engage with her in that conversation at all. Now, he didn't engage with, with Sylvia either, but his bent head, his bowed head to me said, yeah, I agree. 
And to me, that was like the biggest moment of this entire season. I also like the fact that he he took the cross, put it behind her, you know, yeah. so the chain was there. He didn't want to see it. So this is my, to be so hateful mm-hmm. to Megan, to be so mean, to He's be jealous. so judgmental. To be such a dick. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say And it. then to go well, sleep yeah. with someone else. Really, just I, I just can't. You know, I, we've always cheered for him, and we've always wanted him to win. He's the hero of our story, you know. And Don yeah. Draper is so cool, and it just really yeah. is becoming someone I don't like at all, and I don't like in a bad way. Mm. You know, there have been unlikable people on TV that you enjoy watching and seeing, but Don. I'm almost ready to cheer for his failure, right? which I'm surprised yeah, about. But, yeah, but Jesse, haven't we said over and over and over that Don is about as two-faced as you can get? I mean, Don's not even Don. He's Dick. Yeah. And, yeah. and so we've known this about Don. We've known this about him. True, um, but you know what? I, I'm not a surprise. <laughs> no, but I, I hear that, but I'm also, I hear what Jesse's saying, and I feel along the same way. I We've known that he is two-faced. We've known that he has these other lives. We, we know all these. And so I guess it's that he is doing it and he's doing it. There's almost like a malice behind some of his statements, especially to Megan. And like when he was having this tirade to Megan about, you know, you know what people are called that do it for money right. and, and, and just laying it on so hard and so thick and not being aware or seemingly aware of his own hypocrisy about this. And I begin to think, is he truly such a narcissist that he doesn't see this? And for the first time, I'm like, is there more to this than just the fact that he has this childhood and this backstory? And we know that, you know, he grew up in this really weird situation with his mother being the, or uh, his half, what was it? His mother died and his father raised him. And then he was ended up in this brothel. And then he went to... Yeah, Col- but his mother, I believe his mother was a prostitute. Okay, so whichever. So I, he grew up, you know, in this weird sort of prostitution environment. And then he went to Korea right. and they assumed the life of another guy. And so that's a whole thing. And yeah, so that explains a lot. But is right. is there even more? Because I'm almost thinking he's... Such an asshole in this in this in this episode. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, is there truly more? Is there something going on in his head that we don't further know about? Is is there was that one of the reasons we started seeing a flashback last episode? Is there is there something even more crazy to explain why he's this much of a jerk? Because, like Jesse said, he's so cruel. You just a want him to fall down and feel the punishment of whatever, you know, judgment would we be rendered on him. And B, you start not to care because, and a similar thing happened to me with Sopranos with, you know, a lot of people, you know, they watched and Tony Soprano was like, he could do no wrong, even though he was this horrible person. He right. he murdered people. He cheated on his wife and, and people still rooted for him. And that's, there's a point in that series where I just was like, you know what? I, I can't, can't root for this guy because not because of, you know, maybe this or that, but there's the summation of it, and especially the fact that there was just such a callous way of he went about doing things to other people. And I'm wondering, you know, this this is not a mob show. This is this is a ad agency show drama, and yet the characters are, in some ways, just as mean spirited as some of those mob guys. And I want to remind you both when he and Betty broke up or one of the fights that led to them breaking up. When he was confessing and she was chewing him out, he said, I didn't think anyone like you could ever love me. I mean, there was some humbleness to him. And at this point, you know, he has no respect for Megan whatsoever. No respect for her as an actress, as a wife, as a person, just period, none at all. It's like, you've chose not to work in advertising, so therefore I'm dismissing you totally. Mm-hmm. It's an odd thing, because I was thinking back how Pete had a similar thing. And when he had his 
affair with Peggy. I go back to the scene, and I think it was the first season, where it was a event after work, and they were at a yeah. bar, and Peggy yeah. was dancing. One of the right. best best scenes of the show series, by the way. Yeah. I mean, my God, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love that yeah. scene. And she kind of is sauntering over to him, and it was an incredibly right. sexy scene. She looked great, and you know his comment. You know, even though he was like totally into her, and his comment to her was, "I don't like to see you like this, or right. you don't look good like this." And right. it was like, "What?" And this is like the same thing Dawn is saying to Megan. It's like you're doing something you like. You're expressing yourself in a way that you enjoy, but I don't want to see you that way. I want to see you the way I want to see you. And like the same way Pete was telling Peggy was, I don't want to see you exuding your happiness, your sensuality. I want you to just be this little waif of a a secretary who, you know, wants to bang the executive. And I'm wondering, is there some underlying theme that's happening with, with like these male characters? Pete, Don, they want their girlfriends or their wives to be who they, Don, Pete, want them to be. They don't want them to express themselves for themselves. They can't tolerate uh-huh. that they can. I agree. To me, it's a little bit more ambiguous than that. It's it's like we don't really know what Don's attitude toward women is. There's something messed up there. We know that. But we don't really know what formed his attitude toward women. I guess we we have some ideas because we've seen those flashbacks and we know where he came from, but... It's a complicated picture with Don and women. It's just very complicated. You know, I said this in a previous podcast. I go back to the scene, and I think it was the first season, where when he went up to his son's room and he whispers to his son, I'll never lie to you. And now I'm wondering, is it telling that he said that to his son and not to his daughter? Hmm. This might just be something that at the time, maybe, you know, Matthew Weiner just wrote it in. He, went, he goes to the son's room and says whatever, but... That's one of those things where, as you're writing it, perhaps without knowing it, there might have been something in him as the writer and the creator that would have said, you know, there's something here with the way he treats women. And just instinctively, he wrote it that perhaps he went to his son's room and said those words, because he certainly doesn't not lie or not be truthful with women. It's, it's what woman has he ever been totally truthful with, except for Mrs. Draper the first. That's right. it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It seems to be he is going in a weird way. They're all losing their power, right? Like Joan couldn't even get rid of this lady that lied about her timesheet. Peggy is doing well, but not many other people are on the show, are they? Well, when you say well, I don't know what you mean. Well, Peggy seems to have success in her job. Um, Now she's lost her friendship. Yeah. With her late also, buddy. Yeah, but she's also feeling the pinch of being a woman executive because the guys in her office play practical jokes on her. She's not one of the guys anymore. Yeah, I'm not so sure she's got such a great deal. It's hard to separate in this show people's private lives from their business life and whether, you know, if they're happy in both. With Peggy, we've seen her business life quite a bit, but we've only seen just parts of her personal life. Well, she's, she's still with Abe. She's still with Abe. We know that. Yeah, we still, she's still with Abe. I mean, after Pete, and she kind of hooked up with Abe, and she's been with him for a while, and that is rarely touched on, which is surprising to me because it doesn't seem like that's the love of her life by any stretch, and I think we've seen episodes where she was just kind of like, meh, about the whole thing. Yeah. So I'm wondering if that's going to come back because... Again, this show, the people's private love lives are a big part of you know what they do, and it influences their business lives. So, mm-hmm. I mean, part of it is that you know she's out of the Don's agency right now, so it's hard to have her like in as many scenes, I suppose. But um, maybe that's just a reason why they can't devote as much to that character. But um, and they have to choose one aspect of her her life to cover, but. I'm I'm wondering if that's something that will come up because like you say there's that you know there's that one hint that perhaps she'd be hit on by Teddy and and from what we've seen it's it's like she seems just sort of like ambivalent about the whole Abe thing but any other uh comments you'd like to bring up about this episode I still think it's hilarious that they smoke pot in the office <laughs> I just can't imagine that happening mm-hmm. and then the uh project K room with the 
tinfoil and everything. It just proceeds odd, odd, odd. Mm-hmm. Y- yeah, you know, can we get back to the smoke in the pot? I mean, it, it, it seems to me that that we we saw a lot of things in this episode that that were, were kind of insights into Don that that were surprising. In the first episode, we saw him refusing to smoke pot with Megan. I guess trying to show that Megan's about 20 years younger than he is, and and that there's a generation gap. Now, meanwhile, he goes into the into the the Project K room, and he does smoke pot with with Harry with uh, Stan rather. Yeah. Um, but then he turns around and is opposed to the war, despite the fact that he's an older guy. And despite the fact that his company, um, Sterling Cooper Draper Price, represents Dow Chemical, which is uh, a defense contractor, as we know. Um, yes. So I, I think we found a lot of, you know, they're, they're making Don out to be a very uh, more complicated gray character than we thought. Mm. And certainly, certainly his attitude toward women is gray. I mean, he, he, you got to remember, he did promote Peggy. I mean, that's something that we can never forget at a time when women were not just not respected as in that company or anywhere else for that matter. So he does have a respect for women, but but clearly there's something wrong. And, you know, in this episode, he says to Joan, she's a good secretary talking about Dawn. Right. Like, I don't want to lose her. Yeah. You know, she's good at what she does. I don't want mm-hmm. her being gone. All right, then. I think we've covered this episode pretty well. I know, Seth, you will uh, be away next week, sadly. Right. So it'll be just Jesse and I covering. I hope we can uh, can manage without your insights. and But uh, we'll, we'll do as the best we can. Um, with with okay. our luck, it'll be a strong musical episode. Exactly. <laughs> and we'll be going, damn it. <laughs> oh yeah maybe you can send us an, an email if you happen to catch it and yeah. uh give us some thoughts and briefly okay okay all right so once again you can find us on the web at madcast.net but probably the best way to do it is to go to facebook everyone's got facebook and look up scotch and smokes podcast and like our page there to get updates and of course subscribe on itunes so you can actually get the podcast and listen to us and so i think that should do it until next time, the bar is open. Thanks for listening, everyone. All right. Bye, Good night, everyone. Bye. Good night. Good night.